Hey, this is Keith. Or some actor playing Keith, I'm not really sure anymore. But um, we're coming to the end. The end of my Los Angeles con spree. But before I leave, I have some scores to set and discover a couple truths to be revealed. It's all going to come down to the season finale of Rideshare Episode X. It's going to drop on December 3rd. Now, until then, I want you to catch up by binge listening the first season. And I suggest that you do exactly as I say. Or you're going to miss all the fun. Hey, it's Brent Pope, the host of Breakfast with Brent Pope. You've seen me on some of your favorite TV shows saying things like, give it up, Jimmy. You got to sink this putt to win. On Breakfast with Brent Pope, I sit down with guests from the entertainment world and we do it all over breakfast. Or should I say breakfast? Every week on Breakfast, you get inside Hollywood info and tips, great breakfast wrecks and booty debates. Most of all, you get the most delightful 30 minutes of your week. So dig in. It's Breakfast time. Listen at breakfast.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are found. This is Flint Dilly, and I really enjoyed being on the Knowing is Half the Podcast. That's my real voice. Hey, guys. This is Ray. I'm of the show Knowing is Half the Podcast, and I'm already ruining this introduction. Yeah, this sounds Christ. like you're sitting us down to talk to us about like ha- masturbating too much or oh my like, drug use or something. Well, what I'm here to talk to you guys about is uh, we have Buzz Dixon here to talk about a rise for Pentor Rise, and the, inter- and the episode kind of ran longer than our normal episode, so what we're going to do is we're going to cut it into two parts. We're going to drop part one on Friday. We're going to drop part two on Monday, so you have plenty of time to uh, digest it and enjoy it like a delicious ramen noodle meal. This is your go-to when you're thinking of digestion. Yeah. Things that need digesting. Yeah. Ramen. Because it, it feels so hearty on the inside when you finish a giant bowl. Now this just makes me want ramen. Yeah, I'm kind of hungry now, too. Uh, but anyway, so um, we're gonna so check it out for part two. We're going to cut it halfway through, and now you know what's going on, so enjoy the show. That was weird. Super weird. Let's go get ramen. Okay. Hey everybody and welcome back to your favorite G.I. Joe podcast show. It's season two, everybody. You know my favorite holdover from season one is when Ray gets ready to start the show (laughs) and Gina's grinning like a (laughs) madman. Looking like she's about to just jump in and ruin the intro, as she does every <laughs> once in a while. We have to scrub it. Oh, like I'm the only one that ever ruins the intro. Uh, to be fair, you Chan, <laughs> she you have ruined the intro at least tr- three times as many times as Gina has. Yeah. It's entirely possible. Yeah. For the record. Um, but we're here at Boardwalk Audio, Chan. It's real. <laughs> it's brand new. It's a real thing. It's a thing. That's really all I have to say about it. Yeah. It's exciting. We are part of a network now. Yay. But anyway, I am Ray Stacanus. I'm Robert Chan. I'm Gina Ibolito. And in joining us for season two, episode one, is writer extraordinaire, uh, 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 copy editor of G.I. Joe. Is that the story? Story, story editor. <laughs> I don't know. Copy editor. <laughs> Listen. Ray. Copy editor's got the little green thing. You know, you see them in all the old old 30s <laughs> oh, movies. Hey. They're, they're hunched Ooh. over the desk, you know, they're and they're really <laughs> griping well, like, at everybody. They're know? like the televipers. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, no, yeah. Here's the thing. It's as if... Buzz went and got a degree in electrical engineering, and you just came along. You're like, uh, so uh, sanitation engineer? Is that what you're talking about? It sounds sort of the same, right? That's like basically the same thing. Ray, we're two minutes into season two. <laughs> and I'm already embarrassing already us. messed up. Uh, Buzz Dixon is here with us, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Uh, thank so, you for having me back. Oh, my yeah, gosh. Thank, thank you, you so much for coming us. back. It's a pleasure. It's a joy. Uh, superlative, superlative, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you know by now, please. We love having you. And uh, uh, I love being had. There, there you <laughs> go. Uh, we are talking about a, a very special episode. This is part one of five, Arise, Serpentor, Arise, a.k.a. Gina's Nightmare. Yeah, it, uh, when I was finally starting to learn the names of the characters from season one, you were doing so good. I know, I was, I was, I was knowing the difference between Duke and Flint. Mm-hmm. That's right. And now there's 800 new characters, <laughs> including, a, including a dude who looks a little bit like Flint. Oh, that's right. Did you, when when they first started walking out at the beginning, a, were you? There are a lot of characters. Uh, we'll get to this when they when they were a tri- when they were when there were dreadnoughts tryouts. I kept saying, "Isn't this guy already a dreadnought?" <laughs> uh, yeah, good character design. <laughs> uh, officially, Gene, if we do not count Serpentor, who's only mentioned but hasn't mm-hmm. actually been created yet, 
18 new characters uh, uh, in 21 minutes of this episode. Oh, God. And almost all of, I would say a good 13 of them are introduced in the first four minutes. It's going to take me f- about 52 episodes to <laughs> get all their names down. I believe this season's only about 30 episodes. So oh, I'm sorry, no. Gina, you're not going to have We're enough doomed. time. But you got to buckle down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to grind it. Come on. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I am kind of curious because, um, like, last season. There was kind of a lot of that at the beginning, and it sort of tapered off. Uh, and you said that they sort of left you to your own devices mm-hmm. at the beginning of season two, where they like, we have to cram in this many things and the, all of these toys, like like right now. Well, we started out with um, uh, we picked up from the previous season. We actually had one episode from the previous season that had not been delivered by uh, Tom Dagenet. Tom was unfortunately at the time suffering from cancer, mm. and he he passed away within the year when oh, he finally did deliver it. But um, he was a he was a pro, and he felt bad about not being able to deliver the script for the first season, even though we paid him for it. And over the summer, he finished the script for the first season, and he brought it in, and I, I said, absolutely. So that was like the very first script of season two. We added some of the newer characters, in, including Serpentor. I think it was like the fifth episode, fifth regular episode aired. And they gave us the book with all the new characters and whatnot. They told us they were cycling out old characters. Uh, we had done this before. Um, I think Sparks, the first camo guy they had was cycled out of the toy line and we made a reference to him you know going back to civilian life and having a a job in the civilian world and whatnot and of course in the uh, worlds without end we got rid of a whole bunch of them we just left him in an alternate universe (laughs) just leave him in the twilight zone we're fine in the twilight zone (laughs) like david Tennant's doctor but um we got you know as you said we got a whole bunch of new characters to incorporate and whatnot and by the time Arise, Serpentor, Arise became necessary, and we'll go into that in a bit. (laughs) Uh, By the time that became necessary, we had already gotten like about four or five scripts underway. So we had already started playing around with the characters, feeling them out and whatnot. And and that was good because then when we did Arise, Serpentor, Arise, those characters, we had already basically had a test run with them. We knew a little bit about, you know, their personalities and whatnot. And we were able to work them into the story a lot easier than if we had, it had all been dropped cold into our lap. Oh, okay, so what you're saying is you actually had a bunch of time to work out who these people yeah. were, and then you got to do a rise or pentor. Exactly. So yeah. when we introduced a dozen new Joes in the first uh-huh. two minutes of this episode, uh, we they were already kind of fully realized coming fully into realized, the door, yeah. which is so yeah. helpful, I'm sure. Which you know, I, I watch TV shows and I see you know they'll do the pilot episode and. Nine times out of ten, the pilot episode is the first episode, and then they go in, and and almost immediately they've begun making changes and whatnot. Yep. I mean, the classic example is Star Trek, where they they mm-hmm. they do their original pilot as a flashback, and uh, you know it's uh, it's it's the backstory to the current you know uh, uh, Spock being on trial or something. Mm-hmm. I think when you do a pilot for a TV show, you shouldn't do the origin story as the pilot. You should do what you imagine to be a run-of-the-mill story about halfway into this thing. Mm -hmm. And you can do that and just say, this is our average story. And do a bunch of average stories first just to get them under your belt, even if you don't film them necessarily. Just get the the, – get, you know, get the characters in motion. Get to know what they – how they interact with one another Get a get a couple of run of the mill stories under your belt so you know the characters. Then go and do the introductory stuff that's going to bring them to everybody's attention and and uh, get people to focus on it. And then that way you can bury the um, the not so good you know preliminary tryouts mm-hmm. you know later on into the season and whatnot. I'm just remembering the opening scene of um, uh, Avengers: Age of Ultron. Like let's just have them kicking all the butts, <laughs> and then we'll we'll get into plot later. <laughs> You know, throw it in the action right away. Make everybody everybody gets put over. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's basically what happens here. I mean, first off, brand new intro to the show. Yeah, how exciting mm-hmm. is that? I mean, the same song, but it seemed like slightly like more up tempo, slightly like faster oh, for me. I don't I didn't know. Like, notice the song change, but I did. I did enjoy the new opening. Well, it was subtle, you know, definitely. But you got Flint shouting "Yo, Joe" instead of Duke at the beginning. Mm. Uh, you've got the USS flag. You've got all the new characters. You got Sergeant Slaughter punching monkey wrench in the 
the face. I mean, that's my. I was I was just goosebumping all over just watching it again right there. Um, and the Terror Drome, the Terror Drome makes an appearance in the intro, which was my favorite playset outside of GI Joe headquarters uh, back in the day. Uh, just come on, the Terror Drome, folks. <laughs> Every every evil base should just be called the Terror Drome yep. from this moment forward. That I call um, my bedroom. Mm-hmm. It is. Uh, no, we'll leave that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I could have guessed. I could. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we open with a baseball game because what's more American than baseball? I really just wanted like a shipwreck to be cooking some apple pie. Uh, but he wasn't. He was he was penning love letters or something. Was it a love letter or was it like an apology letter? Oh yeah. Either either way, I'm glad there's a little bit of holdover from from what he went through in in the season one finale. It's good to know he hasn't changed as a person. Yeah. Uh, actually, do we have the sound clip really quick of shipwreck? Uh, the dear Sally uh, uh-huh. letter. I, I kind of just wanted to hear that just for the people at home. Dear Sally, your last letter really wounded my heart. <laughs> as, as Wild Bill hits a baseball that Roadblock in his new outfit uh, pitches, and he drills Shipwreck while mm-hmm. ripening. Yeah. A sad, sad letter. I think it's a newer, more sensitive Shipwreck after the emotional turmoil that he went through. No, uh, this there's is... no place like Springfield. Mm-mm. If this were in 2016, that definitely would have been a text. There would have been a bunch of emojis. It's like, <laughs> so, Sally, sup? Mm-hmm. Uh, haven't heard from you lately. Like, I wouldn't even. Back. I wouldn't even say that. I would say it's not that he hasn't heard from her. It's that she was just like, uh, well, "I'm filing a restraining order." If you, <laughs> oh yeah, that's if you keep much, contacting that's me, pretty much what was in our in the back of my mind when I was doing this. <laughs> um, yeah, b- uh, bad job, shipwreck. <laughs> um, General Hawk, who uh, you know, he I, I don't even know, has he been mentioned in season one? I can't remember if maybe he even had like a reference or something. But he is a full blown character now. I believe he was was mentioned in season one. We we. We had a a um, very rough, what do you call it, command chart for G.I. Joe, and it became more elaborate, I found out, after you know we had stopped doing the series because people, fans, had just started basically constructing how such a unit would have to look. And so there were characters, I found out, that had been in the Joe sets that we did not know about because they may have been like special characters for like the mm. Sears toy or something mm-hmm. like that. And so we didn't have that character in our, um, in our files. And so when I'm, you know, I, I found out when I was doing the research for the book that, um, you know, gosh, it was an awful lot of characters that if I had known that they had existed, <laughs> I would have, I would have had a lot easier time with certain things. Uh. <laughs> You know, there was what Colonel Courage, for instance. Oh, and I don't was, know who Colonel Courage is. He was supposed to be like their their planning's planning guy. He was their like tactician and whatnot. Oh, jeez. And and I thought, well, geez, if I had known that, that we could have we could have given all the information dumps to him. Well, we're going to do this. We're going to go this here and do that thing, and then the guy over here will do the other thing, and then I. That made life so much simpler. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, General Hawk is a straight-up pimp. Like yeah. General Hawk was always one of my favorite characters just because for all the silliness and the Joes kind of infighting and doing the, the thing, General Hawk's the guy that comes in and it's like, oh, crap, Daddy's here. Yeah. <laughs> Daddy's here. Hide the good stuff. Uh, uh, oh, hello, General Hawk. We're all behaving. Well, you remember you remember the TV show MASH uh, when uh, sure. Colonel Blake's character is bumped off. Um, uh, spoiler alert for you yeah. guys at home. Oh, no. <laughs> anyway, when he when his character was was removed, um, they brought uh, what's his name Henry Morgan, Colonel Potter, uh, as Colonel Potter and Harry Morgan. Excuse me, not Henry Morgan. Uh, Harry Morgan in as Colonel Potter. And in the very first scene when he arrives, I mean, he just basically he carves radar a brand new one <laughs> on the spot for radar being you know just sloppy and inefficient and for whatnot. being radar exactly. <laughs> but you you realize right away this guy is not Blake. Blake was was a doctor who was in over his head. He was put in charge of a military unit and he had no idea how to run a military unit. Potter knows how to run a military unit, and it changed the dynamic of the shows. Not badly. It just changed the way that everybody interacted Mm -hmm. and once you got as you say the grown-up in the room uh, it changed the the tone of the show somewhat Yeah, because the leader up to this point was duke and he's been concussed so many times (laughs) he just does wacky things Uh like i don't even be surprised if duke just shows up with like underwear in his head just Mm -hmm. being like i thought this was new regulation uniform be like duke take a cold shower go home we'll see you tomorrow Mm -hmm. Uh, you're not doing well (laughs) 
Uh, but yeah, so General Hawk comes in, and we get a lesson about the hierarchy. Uh, mm-hmm. in, in one of, and this mm-hmm. is one of those moments that even talking with other GI Joe fans. Uh, uh, and fans of the show, this is that line that Beachhead or, or Flint says to Beachhead uh, is is iconic. People remember that line and, and when he says Beachhead's like, "That's not how I would do things. I'm salty. This is inefficient. This is inefficient." And then Flint's just like, uh, "Hey, listen, uh, General Hawk's the one in charge. Then Duke. Then me. And then you. Yeah. So you're fourth here, Bucko. <laughs> STFU <Yeah>. right now." <laughs> And then he he gets a little bit cobra. He's like, "Well, we'll see about that." Yeah, like, yeah. Well, it establishes the character as a pyramid climber. Here's a guy looking towards leadership. Yep. Who mm-hmm. is not necessarily even like as fourth in command. You're basically not in command. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know they they put you in charge of like some of the misfits over here, so you can have a leadership position just to satiate his own ego. But he's not really in charge of anybody. It's like yeah. it's like being fourth in the Olympics. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Beachhead, you don't get a medal. Yeah. Go yeah. home. I also like that his name is is sort of like always reminds me of a a California girl that has a hairdo that's like fresh from the beach with my <laughs> which my with my beach head. So if well, he, you say if he takes off the mask, yeah, it'd be like he's a got, beehive. No, no, like, I think he's got long tussled locks. Uh, yeah. Really? Yeah. Because I don't believe be does he? I don't think in the show he ever actually takes off. I don't the think mask. he ever took the mask off. Yeah, I know what's underneath there. Yeah. Finger waves. <laughs> Here's the deal. Uh, even if it's not, it is now. Yeah. I think we've, yep. we've that, found the imagination. That's canon. Yeah. Uh, and then we get into, I mean, here's the parade of characters that happens right here. So we get introduced to the power team of Wetsuit and Leatherneck, who will become the two-man team of, like, the entire season two, basically. Oh. As you know, what? before we've had, like, Quick Kick and, uh, was it Quick Kick and Spirit? Uh, was a team for a while, mm. and um, oh, why am I blanking on all of them right now? The teams they would always put together. Yeah, it's uh, 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 Bazooka and Bazooka uh, and Alpine. Alpine, yeah. 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 Uh, a torpedo and Deep Six mm-hmm. was always a team, you know. And there are a couple other good ones in there, um, but basically. Uh, these guys are going to be prepared because there's going to be a lot of wetsuit and leatherneck. So you're telling me I should learn their names? It would probably help. And I, I believe it's, it's a Navy versus Marines kind of yep, a thing they're yep, doing there. Yeah. yeah. So each one represents a different branch that's always f- infighting between themselves. Well, that's wh- one of the reasons we had the baseball game and had the, the downtime was that that was the easiest way to get all the characters out there. Mm-hmm. And just introduce them in a way that that you know if we'd started with a battle scene and you go here and do this and that and the other, and people are going well who are these characters yep. you're doing a baseball thing you're doing people relaxing and whatnot you you recognize okay these are the Joes at play and well wait we got some new Joes here and then you get to introduce those Joes in a non combat or non conflict situation where you can mm-hmm. see a little bit of their character sure. and have some clue as to what's going on and yeah I mean. Beachhead, yeah, he was definitely going to be kind of a climber in our eyes and whatnot. He was he was too he was actually too straight arrow to be a Joe in many ways. Oh, okay. But but you know once he's on the team, you don't boot a guy off the team. Not not you, for being straight edge. Not, not for being straight edge. I mean, look for heaven's sakes, you know if if shipwreck stays on the team, <laughs> you know, and and so you know he was he was kind of like the um, he was the counterpoint to the more. Uh, eccentric and erratic characters that yes. we had. And I think General Hawk does that too, as yeah. you mentioned earlier. Like, but but he's the grown up, and this this is like the, your older sister or your <laughs> older brother who's like trying. Well, I'm going to tell Dad, and he's going to come in here. What's the uh, uh, What's the character from Phineas and Ferb? Yeah. The the sister. Oh my gosh! Okay, you people at home oh, right now are hey, screaming. No, no, yeah, no, I I but, shouldn't have to know this. Gina should. Why should you I? Should have know, to you know should know it. all the Cartoon Network cartoons. I can't, I can't watch all the characters, every cartoon. Every one of them. What is it? Like twenty years old network. You should but, know all the characters. Oh, the, the older sister, her whole uh, character arc is she's trying to bust the brothers uh, 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 in front of the parents uh, uh-huh. when they're doing their crazy schemes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, it, and I'm totally blanking on her name, and it's going to kill me right now. And people at home are screaming at their at their yeah, uh, podcast yeah. devices. Mm-hmm. This, this was recorded weeks ago. So <laughs> I'm sorry, everybody. Uh, if only you were here with us, yeah. shouting through the window, right? <laughs> Candace, there we go. I knew it was a Candace, C word. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. <laughs> uh, really, really. Yeah, you just right. think of women C word. Yeah. That's your first go to. One female character. Disgusting. Her name is the C word. Appalling. <laughs> um, thank you. Uh, we also have Low Light and Sci Fi get introduced here, mm-hmm. and uh, Low Light is a really interesting character. Um, uh, sci Fi, a little. He was bright green, but a little bit less interesting. I've than heard Sci Fi be named before. Is that he just... was in one of the books we read? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Uh, yep. One of the Find Your Fate books that mm-hmm. we've, we've done on the mm-hmm. air. Uh, talk to me a little bit, though, about Lowlight, because he is a very disturbed character who's, <laughs> I mean, like, we'll see as the episodes come, Lowlight has problems. Oh, he got problems. <laughs> oh, man, do you. We, um, yeah, when, when we had done the show, when we, the first season, uh, we have heroic characters, and one of the things that I always find ir- irritating in um, in animation in particular, but also in live action, is the the characters always have a flaw, and the flaw is always that they are too virtuous in a certain area. Yeah. <laughs> they're too dedicated. They're too brave. They're too this. They're too. And it's like, no, no, no. That's not. You know, that's not a ver- that's not a flaw. And so when we were getting these characters, and Larry Hama was doing like the original, uh, you know, cards on them and whatnot. We got low light, and I said, you know, we have got enough really virtuous, good characters on G.I. Joe. We can afford to have a really dark character here. <laughs> and we started exploring that. And uh, I won't get into it because he'll, he crops up in later episodes, but he was an extremely – one of the reasons I wanted to do that was I knew a lot of kids that were watching the show – came from abused backgrounds mm. that they were were harmed in some way or they were they, they just had bad lives and to have a character that they could identify with and say well you know even if you have a bad life you can end up being part of something really good you can you know you can belong to GI Joe too i wanted something like that because otherwise you know the only characters that they get to identify with you know are like dreadnoks and things like that and i didn't and I do yeah. uh, every day, just for the record. <laughs> I wanted to have somebody that they could, um, you know, somebody they could say, well, I, I can understand his background, you know, I can relate to that, and I'm glad he's a hero. I'm glad the other guys accept him and whatnot. That's right. They kind of give him his space, too, because yeah. he needs it. He needs it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, he's a character who, I mean, we'll find it in later episodes. The Nightmare on Elm Street episode in particular yeah. is really, ha- still haunts me to this day. Um, but that's where he basically doesn't sleep at night because that's when the inner demons come into his brain and try to ruin him. Oh, man. Yeah. It sounds like it's going to be my new favorite episode. Oh, it's, yeah. Well, he's get, the, the payoff, too, is, is I, if I say so myself, is pretty good. It was great. Because, you know. He, he turns out to be the last person you want to invade his dreams. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Dr. Mindbender uh, uh, gets it turned on him in an unfortunate way. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, it, guys, we, that's an amazing episode. I'll just put it out there right now. Uh, uh, I yeah. actually, did, did you have any interaction with the Find Your Fate people? Like, uh, you had interaction with Larry Hama, but like, like I had those other... I had no direct interaction with Larry Hama. We received the material that Larry had done. And we got that, and we incorporated his character descriptions. We would get, we got every book that every comic book that Marvel published. Uh, just they'd send us like a big box once a month of everything that they put out that month. But we didn't delve into the GI Joes and the Transformers because we were doing a separate continuity, and we did not want to um, mm-hmm. get confused. Get, we didn't want to get confused, and we didn't want to get trapped into saying, well, they did this, so we have to mm-hmm. you know, reflect it or something like that. We have, we have two separate continuities going. Um, Mark Evanier had something today on his webpage. He was talking about the difference between uh, the L.C. Seagar Popeye and the Fleischer Popeye. And they're they're very similar, but they're not the same character. They're very close, but they're not the same. And that's kind of like the same thing. It was like Larry Hama was doing the L.C. Seeger Popeye, and we were doing the uh, Fleischer Brother Popeye. Mm-hmm. And you can you can see the similarities, but they're not the same. They're two separate continuities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There you go. So, continuing the character parade right now, we meet Cross Country, who's kind of rednecky. Uh, he's putting a tape deck in his uh, vehicle. He's the '80s. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see here. We meet uh, Lifeline and uh, Lift Ticket, and Lifeline is revealed. He's a very another very important character for season two. He's the guy, the red medic guy mm-hmm. for Gina. Okay. Uh, and he's a devout pacifist. <laughs> he hates violence uh, to yes. the point that okay. he won't hand a wrench to the. He won't <laughs> hand a wrench. That's that's called laziness. <laughs> you can't hide behind your pacifism forever. And Beachhead is thoroughly disgusted. He's just walking around being like, ugh, yuck. These Joes are gross. Ew, and this one doesn't even want to fight. What are we even doing here anymore? Ugh, I'm such a hipster for G.I. Joe. 
Uh, and he could represent, and nowadays he could represent the internet hate, yeah. really, yep. <laughs> in himself. <laughs> Girls is Ghostbusters? I don't think so. <laughs> Not on my watch. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Lifeline is a super fun uh, character. I always really enjoyed uh, um, him because he's, I mean, he's got to be fun to write for only because every Joe, you know, to them, every uh, to a carpenter, every uh, problem needs a hammer. To a Joe, mm-hmm. every problem needs a punch to a cobra's face, yeah. mm-hmm. except for Lifeline, who flat out refuses to do yeah. it or even get involved. Well, actually, Lifeline was based on the um, – during World War II, a great number of the medics that, that served in combat and were – themselves injured and killed trying to save people were Jehovah's Witnesses, were Amish, oh, wow. were Mennonites. These were were devoutly religious men who refused to take up arms, but they weren't cowards. And they said, we'll go where there's suffering and you, you train us to be medics and we'll go out there and we'll patch people up. Um, and and uh, there's a movie coming out this fall. I can't remember the title now, but it's it's about the one medic who won a Medal of Honor, and he was a pacifist. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow! He, he was a conscientious objector. He absolutely refused to carry a weapon, but he he said, "I'll go. I'll serve. I'll be in combat, but I'm not going to kill anybody." Mm-hmm. And it's it looks like it's going to be. I I wish I could remember the title. It looks like it's going to be a pretty exciting movie too. Mm-hmm. It's uh, really well done. Hmm. And, and Lifeline's also nice enough that of all the Joes, he wears bright red and white out on the battlefield to make sure he can get <laughs> oh, shot <man>. first. <laughs> what a guy. There's a the, You know who Bill Malden was? No. no. All right. Well, Bill Malden was the World War II GI cartoonist. He oh, okay. Was, he, was, uh, he was drawing for Yank magazine and then I think later Stars and Stripes, which were military mm-hmm. publications. And he was an actual bona fide soldier who did cartooning on the side, and he did it so well they made him an official Army cartoonist. And he basically went around to the various battlefields and whatnot, and he interviewed people, and he he came up with ideas for cartoons, and he would draw them. And he had two characters, Willie and Joe, who were just your stereotypical um, American servicemen. And it would just be the kind of things that they would go through. And he did one where... Uh, it's the middle of the night. They're they're hunkered down in their foxholes, and there's this medic standing up. And you, I, I wish you know we could show because you could. Malden was a great cartoonist, and and he did this cartoon in just blacks and whites. So it was the, it was just the starkness of the illumination. But this medic with the cross on his head, the red cross on his head, is standing up, lighting his pipe with a, a, a match. And he's illuminated by the match, and there's like Willie down there in his foxhole trying to signal him to get down. And the medic's going, no, no, it's okay. I'm a non-combatant. Uh. <laughs> uh, for the record, I'm going to try to find this and put it up on the Facebook page. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. I'd wager Chan is, is, looking, at it, is looking for it right that's now. That's what Chan does. Yeah. Yeah. He likes to steal my thunder. Hacksaw Ridge, by the way, name mm-hmm. of the movie. Hacksaw Ridge, yes, that's oh, it. Oh, okay. I'm, I am very, very excited by it. I want to see that. It looks like a really great film. And then we, we, we meet the next character. I'll move forward. Uh, Slipstream, who's not paying any attention. Uh, he's watching, I think, like beach volleyball oh, or something yeah, at the time, yeah. which was strange. Uh-huh. And so uh, uh, we, we learn that he's a pilot. And as it turns out, and we'll learn later, Slipstream is about 10 times the pilot that Ace is. As Aww. I'm sorry, Ace. You crash every <laughs> Sky Striker you've ever flown. Dear Lord. So uh, cut over to Cobra, because we've already introduced a bunch of Joes now. Let's introduce a bunch of Cobras. Yeah. So the battle android troopers. Oh, crap. These are awesome. These are the coolest freaking things. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if you've seen like the toys, the models at all, because you could take their hands off and create like big clamps. Like Remember the Futurama guy clamps? Uh-huh. Uh, you could also have like a gun and a hand, and he could carry a weapon. And he had a backpack that he keeps all his hands in. And uh, uh, the bats are cool. I would assume like sort of in a, a Star Wars uh, episode one way. Now you could just kill a bunch of people and not even worry about people getting killed. That's that was true. That was their f- purpose because – it was becoming a little bit obvious that nobody was getting killed. <laughs> in and so the battle android troopers were there just to, to blow the crap out of them. This, this kind of reflects back to when I was doing Thundar the Barbarian at Ruby Spears. We, uh, the first season we're on the air, we have you know the network looking over our shoulders at what we're doing and whatnot. We're, we're a big hit the first season. And we're brought back for a second season, but the network says, well, we're going to be cutting down on all that violence that you had in the first season. (laughs) 
And oh, man. Yeah, so we're thinking, well, what are we going to do? And I told Joe Ruby, I said, what we have to do is we have to write a season opener that is the most violent thing you can <laughs> possibly imagine. <laughs> <clears throat> and when we do, we'll send it in to them, and they'll cut out half the stuff. But what they leave, mm-hmm. we can always point to that in the future and say, well, hey, you let us do this in the season opener. That's your level now. Exactly. Yeah. So he said, well, who do we know who can write? You know, a 45-page fight scene without repeating himself. (laughs) (laughs) Turns out to be me. And um, that was actually Steve Gerber's description of me. He said I was the only person he had ever met who could write a 45-page fight scene without repeating himself. (laughs) So I get the the task, and I write this uh, wizard war, and I write this epic battle, and they've got, like, uh, robots and inhuman blobs and stuff like this, all the stuff that you can just smash the crap out of mm-hmm. because it's not a living thing. And I'm, I'm like, dropping robots into ducted fans, and the parts are flying <laughs> and all the rest. I mean, this is just, I hand it in to Joe Ruby, and he goes, holy crap, we can't give this to the network. <laughs> and so they cut it down before they even send it to the network. And the network gets a hold of it, and they go, are you insane? You can't do this. And they cut out, you know, a whole bunch of it. But they leave enough in that the episode remains pretty good, I think. So the episode gets animated and whatnot. I, I leave Ruby Spears. I find out many, many years later that for the next 17 years, I was the official bad example <laughs> at Standards and Practices oh at ABC. If you came in to get a censor's job at, at ABC, they would hand you my script and say, find what's wrong with it. Uh. And if you couldn't come up with at least 30 things, you didn't get the job. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so, so now we have bats. So get used to bats is all I'm saying because battle entry <laughs> troopers are all up in season yeah. two. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter kills at least 50 in episode yeah uh, and then they load them into school buses which i thought was one of the most cool things like ever just put them on school buses send them to joe headquarters whatever um, well i mean look come on you got you w- kids watching the show you want to have some touchstone in reality mm-hmm. yeah let them fantasize about bats being in uh, school buses yeah. oh, and i did <laughs> uh we, we also uh, now introduced to two more joe's mainframe and dial tone another power team of nerds mm-hmm. <laughs> quite frankly they sit in the computer room it's like they split up like breaker uh, uh and uh, short fuse and they just decided, let's make them way more interesting, and uh, and we'll separate into two people who can go off of each other and both work machines. They're sort of like what CSI Cyber probably wished it was, is <laughs> mainframe and dial tone uh, we were, back together. And I'm not saying this as a negative thing to the to the writers who did the, the very early miniseries, but we were in season one hemmed in by what they had established yep. so there were there were limits to what we could do with the characters when we got the season two characters it was like well this is a brand new fresh deal mm-hmm. we can have some fun with these guys we can take them in directions that nobody had thought of going before and because by that time we had established you know you can trust us we're, we're going to do a good job and if we do something goofy it's for a point you'll know It's going to pay off. It's Mm -hmm. not just goofiness for the sake of goofiness. Well, it was goofiness for the sake of goofiness, (laughs) but it was for the sake of entertaining goofiness. (laughs) Well, speaking of goofiness, we find out Mainframe fought in Nam. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> it's a casual little drop. Right? I lied about the goofiness. I was being ironic right oh, now. Oh, God. That was the. No one gets it, right? <laughs> yeah, mainframe was in Nam. Just, yeah. oh, by the way. Anyway, just keep going forward. It was just such an interesting character drop. Yeah. Uh, uh, especially for the, the, the time period that it took place. You know, and the approximate ages these guys were supposed to be, it made sense. Well, it's, yeah. it's an interesting thing you bring up because I had tried selling a. Um, script with a Vietnam-era character, a live-action script with a Vietnam-era character in it. And it was a a fairly typical 80s action flick type thing. And I couldn't place it anywhere, and the, the agency said they are not interested in Vietnam anymore. Vietnam mm. is the old man's war now, and they're looking ahead. Wow, like a and, dozen years later. Yeah, yeah. and so... so Vietnam characters were becoming passe at that point. And we wanted to have some acknowledgement because Vietnam at that point was the last significant war that the United States had been in. I mean, Ronald Reagan sent us to go beat up some little island somewhere, Grenada or something like that. Yep. Um, but we had not had another major conflict since Vietnam. And we didn't have one again until the 1990s. 
Thank yeah. God for that. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it it it's it's an interesting thing because this was, and I I don't want to get downer here or anything, but no, let's go for it. It was something that we always were wondering about because we we were pro military in the sense that we were pro service personnel. Mm-hmm. We we were for the guys and the gals that were actually out there doing the job. And we wanted to we wanted G.I. Joe not to be a, a spoof of them, not to make fun of them. We could have goofy characters, because there are goofy service personnel. <laughs> I mean I guarantee yes, there are. you. you know. <laughs> But we wanted to be able to, to have a show where we said, you know, the people that are actually putting their lives on the line, they're human beings. They, they have their own personalities and whatnot. They're making a sacrifice for everybody else. And we wanted to be serious about that aspect of the show. We could be fanciful with everything else. But the, the core that we're in this to, you know, we're, we're protecting something. We have banded together you know, as comrades in arms to to fight against the threat, we wanted to acknowledge that. And there had not been a major conflict during the the uh, the nineteen eighties. So young kids only were seeing war movies on TV. Uh, they were only seeing like Vietnam films, the various Chuck Norris movies, mm-hmm. or even older they would see like World War Two movies because nobody wants to make movies about Korea. <laughs> yeah, um, with the exception of Mash, that's, that's, that's what Mash is all about, and it's all in the hospital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, they didn't they they didn't have a contemporary example of what the military was, and as fanciful and as funny as we got with the characters, we always acknowledged that core. These were real people out there sacrificing themselves, sacrificing their freedom, their ability to you know, have their own careers and whatnot in order to defend the country. And we kept that in mind, and we were very serious. That, that was the most serious thing in, in our, our minds when we were doing this, was that we would never, ever denigrate the people who were actually doing the job. Never disrespect the soldiers. Disrespect. And you, as a former serviceman, I think, can be at the forefront of that, of making mm-hmm. sure that wall does not get crossed. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you can be trusted for that, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, well, that's fantastic. Well, yeah. at this moment, this is when Cobra decides to attack, uh-huh. and this is the very exciting action. We, we we've had the baseball. We've introduced all the characters. Let's see them beating people up. So they attack with the stuns, which is a new vehicle. It's the one that splits in half, and you can put your two uh, character, two Cobra characters in the front seat, and then the pilot behind them. Uh, the battle android troopers all come crashing in, and they just overrun GI Joe in roughly one and a half seconds. Yeah, this is a good this is a good action scene too. It is right. You mm-hmm. know, it kind of reminded me of the uh, the. Game of Thrones uh, uh, season finale yeah. episode when they all get circled around mm-hmm. and then they get pushed in on them and then the, the horses come and knock everybody Oof, over. Talk about a spoiler alert now, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Spoiler alert. Except instead of uh, an entire army of horses, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's Sergeant Slaughter. It's just Sergeant Slaughter, <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, do you have a sound poll for this one? This is just, the line made me laugh so hard. The Crimson Twins talking about how embarrassed they are oh, for yeah. G.I. Joe in the middle of the mm-hmm. battle. <laughs> um... The twins oh, are smack one? talking left and right in this. Oh, yes, no. they were always my favorites. What a poor shot! Say too much. Awful. That's what I'd say, Zema. I just love that so much. Awful. That's what I'd say. <laughs> and also, Zema, just to clarify, yes. there's only two of them in the uh, uh, the stun. They are twin brothers. Oh, they're only talking to each other. They use their proper nouns way more than would be appropriate mm-hmm. <laughs> for two people who know each other as well as they know each other. Yeah. <laughs> well, the fair question to ask is, did they know which ones they were? <laughs> they just have to keep <laughs> reestablishing. Tomex? Do you have the scar? Do I have the scar? Okay. I don't. And, uh, yeah, I just have written here, it's just, just like the Game of Thrones finale in that, in that Hawk even's like there's a pincher uh, uh, movement going on. Oh, yeah. To try to trap him in there. And mm-hmm. Cobra Commander's hubris takes takes it over. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he makes an absolutely horrific decision when he could crush G.I. Joe once and for all. Yeah. And he says, we're good with what we got. Just do the thing and we're winning. And he says, Balderdash. 
which yep. is which is a win. It, <laughs> that is, that's when I think of Cobra Commander, I think of Balderdash. Mm-hmm. I think of Chris Lada screaming Balderdash. I would like to play Balderdash with Cobra Commander. Ooh. I bet oh, I would lose. That would be that would be a disaster. You would end up dead. <laughs> and uh, you know, my favorite character, at least of season two, Sergeant Slaughter. I mean, come on, everybody. Sergeant Slaughter shows up on his one man vehicle mm-hmm. and uh, uh, immediately just starts destroying he takes on at least 50 bats by himself yeah that's some good timing he has annihilates too. everybody perfect mm-hmm. timing and i just have written here like it's like a wrestling match the whole battle felt like a wrestling match the good guys are getting beat down uh-huh. and then they just put are put over in the end you you have to remember if if uh if your audience is too young to remember the great wrestling wars of the 1980s the the sergeant slaughter was originally a heel he was a bad guy he would show up, and people in the crowd would be yelling Gomer at him, like Gomer Pyle. You know? <laughs> uh-huh. He represented the tough drill sergeant that everybody hated. And then they had the Iron Sheik. And the mm-hmm. Iron Sheik was, was, actually was the Iranian wrestling champ. You know, for many years, real wrestling as opposed to show wrestling. Oh, that is real wrestling, sir. Yeah. I'll go ahead. And that. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, wrestling where you don't know who's going to win. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, it's not predetermined. The it's outcomes. real to me, damn it. <laughs> the the Iron Sheik came along, and he was an even bigger heel. And then they had this face off, <laughs> yeah. and it it was one of those great moments in wrestling where. The sheik is leaving the the ring after beating the crap out of somebody, and he's been waving the Iranian flag in everyone's face. Mm -hmm. This is in the the wake of the Iranian hostage crisis. And as he tries to go down the aisle, there's Sergeant Slaughter standing, blocking his way. And in like the blink of an (laughs) eye, the audience just completely changes. And they're just like falling in love with the sergeant. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the sergeant is a really great guy to work with because I I worked with him when we were doing the uh, G.I. Joe movie. Okay. Mm. And he is just tons of fun. I mean, he had great wrestling stories and things like that. But I love the character that he played in the ring before that. And when we were informed that Sergeant Slaughter was going to join, and I I have to preface that by saying we kept getting these false alarms. We kept being told this actor was going to become a character, this football player was going to become a character, and we'd actually get production cards and whatnot. Oops, the deal fell through, and then uh, you know we wouldn't get it. And when we got the Sarge, I mean, it was like everybody. First off, we were all wrestling fans at the time. Absolutely. Everybody went, yay. <laughs> and uh, how perfect is that? And um, uh, I forget if the Sarge, if we knew the Sarge was going to be in the show in the first uh, few episodes that we started writing. But, boy, we were delighted to put him into oh. the um, uh, miniseries. His line reads are just next-level amazing. Mm-hmm. Every time he says absolutely anything, I just giggle with joy. You can put anything in the Sarge's mouth. Okay? <laughs> and that sounds a little weird, but yeah. just go with it. You could have him say just about anything, and it, it, he delivers it with such conviction. You have absolutely no doubt he believes it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is it is the, the truest thing you have ever heard in your life, even if it's complete nonsense. I don't think Sergeant Slaughter actually knows Cobra's not real. I'll just go ahead and put it out there. <laughs> I'm convinced. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the, the fight's over. Cobra routes. Uh, Cobra Commander blew it, basically. Yeah, which the twins call him out on. They oh, straight yeah. up call him they, out on it. They, and then, but they, Hawk, they talk some more smack. Hawk turns around and says, yeah, we deserve to lose this. Mm-hmm. We should have all died today, guys. Sweet job. Job, everybody, you doughy MRFers. Oh, everyone goes home from this battle feeling real bad about themselves. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so we go back to Cobra and get introduced to another new character, Dr. Mindbender, Chan, yeah. from the the, uh, the picture that is you from the mm. graphic. Yep. At the begin- at the Dr. Be- Mindbender. As we started, the, uh, uh, started doing the show, I asked you who your favorite Joe was, and it was hands down Sergeant Slaughter. Without a doubt. Uh, and then Gina was like, well... Uh, girl with black hair. There's <laughs> pretty much there. Oh, it is. there's bareness. Okay, cool. Uh, and then yeah, I was just looking through. I mean, I just 
Well, we had the binders full of Joes for you. Yeah, uh-huh. that we borrowed from Mitt Romney. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that guy, yeah, he seems uh, a little cerebral. I don't remember him real clearly, but... Uh, oh, no, it was the exact uh, perfect call for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was Dr. Mindbender. Glad it all worked out. Although, although seeing him in this, I wrote down, oh, my God, he is so jacked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the stakes are always way up here for Dr. Mindbender. But, but like, always. the fact that he's walking around without a shirt all the time, oh, yeah. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, if I was that jacked, I would probably be <laughs> oh, yeah. walking around without a shirt, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, you just mean like he looks big? Yeah, yeah. Like I like the fact that he's the science guy, but he's like, yeah, yeah. I'm the science guy. Also, look at my abs. <laughs> um, no, I was referring. Well, to look, the if fact- you're going, if you're going to master in science, you're going to put it to a practical use. <laughs> you know, why do you think Cobra wanted? That, yeah, that's he probably had true. muscle pills. He developed yeah. them. Like- <laughs> I was saying every line read for Doctor Mindbender feels like he's about to be murdered. <laughs> like every, he can't say anything. If he orders a sandwich, it's just you know, it's just like and make sure. I get the pickles. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's he's amazing. It's just I'm, such a great I'm, character. I am not going to say that we wrote him in mind like being, you know, up to his gills in snow, but <laughs> no, you know, legit. Uh, legit. It, it, it certainly seemed to be the most logical reading. <laughs> <laughs> Why is the bathroom door locked? <laughs> Now he was he, we I think this is one of those cases where you know Larry Hama would write these bios and he would uh, this is not critical of Larry if you Larry if you're listening to this you did great work <laughs> but he would sometimes just it seemed to us would throw in a random word like you know he's the paranoid you know uh <laughs> you know science specialist for cobra and we go well, wait a second what does paranoid really mean you know and then we we'd go to town on that so you'd give us, you know, you give us any kind of a clue, and we would just take it and run with it, <laughs> and, and take it to eleven, and here we yeah. are. Yeah. Uh, well, he has a dream. Yeah. Well, first, first of all, he, his bedroom is also very sweet. Yeah. Like that, that like four poster bed that he's sleeping yeah. on with and, the snake head at the front, and there's no chair next to the bed, so I'm happy. <laughs> Chan. <laughs> We had a huge argument about that in the previous episode. Yeah, and there's no place like Springfield. There's a chair next to a bed, and it upset Ray a lot because I'm he still didn't mad understand about why anyone would have a, a chair a next chair to a bed. A chair pushed up to against the bed? It just doesn't make sense. It's for reading bedtime stories, Ray. There was no room for legs. It was upsetting to me. But uh, yes, Dr. Mindbender has a swanky, posh establishment. Yeah, yeah. His setup is very sweet. Um, so he has the dream that uh, 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 deoxyribonucleic acid uh, DNA, the building blocks of life, which I'm sure I was introduced to through this episode way back in the day. Yeah, this um, is Jurassic Park ripped this off of. This well, they ripped episode. off GI Joe many different yeah, ways. Remember, yeah, GI Joe invented Jurassic Park well before yeah, that oh, novel that is, came out. That is true. Um, and so he says, "I had this dream. I had there's a new leader. We're go- I don't know exactly how this is going to go down yet, but mm-hmm. if we need a new leader. Cobra Commander is balls. Everybody knows it. He's the only thing keeping us back. Look at us. Look, look at where we're living right now. Look at this army. Look, how are we not winning? Mm-hmm. This is ridiculous." And so he's just like, uh, something's going on, guys. I'm, I'm having some dreams. Yeah. Which, I, for as much uh, cocaine as he did, I'm surprised he sleeps at all. <laughs> you know? Are the, Is the RNC doing that right now? Uh, <laughs> we have friggin' Cobra Commander running for president. <laughs> we need to build a new oh, man. candidate. They're, they're collecting some DNA. Yeah, they're going, to, they're going up to Mitt Romney and say, Mick, look over there. <laughs> Just extract something. I, I want to say one thing that sure. the the um, the dream sequence. I wrote in that it was a double helix, assuming that the I artist would actually oh. look up what a double helix was. <laughs> it's not like even in the mid '80s this was secret information. <laughs> no, they put in a flipping yeah. Christmas. I, I, I yep. did write. Mm-hmm. Oh, that looks like a Christmas tree. I was I not happy with that cone. either. I did know? notice that it was not a double helix. Yeah. Uh, I didn't go as far as Christmas tree, but I'm like, it's a it's yeah. a vortex of some kind. Yeah, in my I, notes, it says that Christmas tree sucked him up good. Yeah, I was just I was not happy with that when they did it, but. We were, by that point, we were so far into the production schedule that I, I think I complained about it and said, can we do something? And they said, no, if, if it is not absolutely unusable, we have to use it. So, oh. <laughs> Well, I just I even have written here, if we could get a, just for the example of what I was talking about earlier, I just have a separate note here. Mindbender's acting is just top notch in this scene. <laughs> do we have any of just the polls from the, the one of the dream sequences? Because this guy's intense. Yeah. <laughs> Lies within that spiral of light. Oh! I mean, 
that's amazing. He's, he's, he's becoming my, I'm going to have to be Dr. Mindbender yeah. after this. Yeah. I, I forgot how big a fan I was of this amazing character until watching like, this again. I feel like he's the one friend that, that his invitation to events always gets lost. <laughs> Every, everyone's always like, ah. Oh, have, have you gosh. seen The Big Short yet? No. Okay. Well, you got to see the Big Short. There is. There is. It's. It's about the guys who made a fortune off of shorting the housing market uh-huh. when, when the crash happened. And there is one guy in it who is the ostensible narrator of the thing, and and he is like Doctor Mindbender <laughs> with a shave and a Brooks Brothers shirt. Oh I mean, he is like gosh. constantly just. And, um, you know, most of the time he keeps it under control, but every now and then he slips and it's just like there's there's a scene where he's having a he's he's having a private phone call in the executive restroom. And he's just like going insane because uh, I I won't tell the whole story here. But (laughs) basically he thought he saw something happening in the housing market and he didn't realize that the banks were corrupt and were hiding what was going on and he mm-hmm. thought that they were on the verge of ruination it's a great movie you got to see it absolutely yes. um i just uh, um i was thinking to myself uh, as you were talking about the party invitations i feel like dr mindbender is probably the person who inadvertently invented glitter bombing people <laughs> when he was inviting them to his party <laughs> he oh. put purple glitter in the envelope thinking it would make a scene and uh-huh. he just pissed everybody off yeah uh, maybe leading to his invitations being lost yeah. in the mail. Double helixes for everybody. <laughs> oh, this is what a double helix is, right? Come to my double helix uh, winter party. <laughs> We're going to light the double helix. Okay, you guys, that's where a good spot is to cut this show in half. So we can do part one today, part two on Monday. So we ran long. I think you probably already listened to me explain this already. So I really don't need to explain it again, do I? Bye. find yourself thinking about who would win in a fight between Goku and Superman? Hi, I'm James Gavsey, and on the Who Would Win show, me and my co-host Ray ignore anything important happening in the outside world and debate fictional battles between characters from comics, movies, and video games. We got a new show every week, and almost always, am I the winner? Yeah, <laughs> not true, Ray. In the past, we've discussed such matches as Captain America versus Darth Vader, Solid Snake versus the Iron Giant, classic matchups like RoboCop versus Terminator, and even the Muppets versus Sesame Street. That one was crazy. So if you're a fan of geek culture and love a spirited debate, check out the Who Would Win Show wherever you get your podcasts, or check us out at whowouldwinshow.com.